I really think that this episode's title should be Ready Player One. I think that's already a book, though. Well, excuse me, Mackenzie. Welcome to Writers Get Animated. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Today, we're taking two of my favorite things, cartoons and video games. And we're talking about, and not really both, we're talking about cartoons. But in terms of video games, so there's lots of ways we can express this. We have so many lovely things. We, there's, um, of course, all sorts of shows based on video games. And there's when shows become video games. And when video games are part of a show, but not the basis of the show, as just like an element of the world. So for example, um, everyone remembers the Mario Brothers show. The Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Super Mario Brothers Super Show, with the horrifying iteration of Mario as a real person, and their neighbor Cher, who just happens to be Cher? I don't really understand the concept. That's live action, but there was a cartoon point of it as well. Um, and they've adapted the video game of Mario in the early 90s to a show. Not much to go on there at the time. There's a dude named Mario, he jumps, there's a princess, and there's an evil turtle. That's what we got. That's about it. Mm -hmm. So the narrative of the story of the video game, the narrative of the video game is... Mario's trying to save the princess, and he jumps a lot. Yeah, the tactics he uses are jumping. And smashing. And smashing. And going down pipes. And going down pipes. Sometimes swimming. He, he changes tactics a lot. Yeah. Sometimes throwing fireballs. <laughs> oh, I love the fireballs. Mushrooms. Eating mushrooms and flowers. Yeah. He does that. So not much to go on there with that. Not a, not a big narrative... But obviously, since then, video games have advanced so much, they're now seeing storytelling in video games. What happens when a video game is a cartoon, or is trying to be a cartoon? What, what does happen? I don't know. It's magic. <laughs> um, it is our second mode of storytelling. Uh, not, it's not so much like cartoon plot-based, but I, I have a special love in my heart for... A video game called Wario Land colon Shake It exclamation point for the Wii. Um, it's a great game, and every frame is hand drawn, and they've animated it all together, so it's like you're playing a cartoon. It's something very much that they did back in the '90s with uh, Sega. Did that in a lot of ways with the Aladdin mm -hmm. when they took the movie Aladdin and turned it into a video game. So the Sega version looks like drawn 2d animation and the nintendo one doesn't look good no it doesn't because the they nintendo the aladdin yeah yes the nintendo aladdin yeah um two different ways of doing it art in terms of artwork and you get lovely things like earthworm jim from the 90s as well i loved earthworm jim very cartoon inspired and then when it became a cartoon, they didn't quite know what to do with it. <laughs> Which is so, so they is just that did, ironic. They just did everything, and th that was one of the most bizarre shows. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I was confused a lot of ways. It just they didn't know what to do, so everything was a joke, and everything was just 
how far outlandish they could take it. Mm-hmm. So that's the vicious cycle of cartoon to video game to cartoon. You don't know what to do with it anymore. <laughs> and finally, what happens when a cartoon show does our third mode where they use a video game as a plot device? Um, most famously, of course, is the um, South Park episode, Make Love, Not Warcraft, where it's a plot of a South Park episode, but when they're in the Warcraft video game, they're using footage from the game instead of their very um, iconic animation from the show. That's a good way of expressing that. Iconic? Iconic. Yeah, that, that's a word for it. Yeah. <laughs> they are icons in their own right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's one of the... It's not safe for work. No. But it's or one for of kids. the... Or for kids. <laughs> but it's one of the lower level, not safe for work episodes of South Park. Yeah. So... If they were able to bleep certain things, it would be able to pass. I think it'd be okay. Or bleach them from your mind. Yeah. Bleach from your mind. Yeah. Um, interesting plot. Like, they just wanted to tell a story that happened to involve Warcraft, and they used that animation. And I think then, because they worked with Blizzard, they incorporated stuff from the episode into the actual game. Hmm. Like, I think they put, like, the, the crazy magic sword that they get at the end. I think that's an actual item in... World of Warcraft now. To be able to attain. Yeah. Which is craziness. It, it, it's altogether craziness. <laughs> not that we're talking about Warcraft today. I don't endorse Warcraft. That's another thing maybe not appropriate for kids. Because it's addictive. Among uh, other things. <laughs> um, so one thing that I love from the 90s is Sonic the Hedgehog, which always seems weird to me because I'm such a Nintendo person, love Nintendo video games, and one of my favorite 90s cartoon shows is Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Who's the Mario of the Sega universe. Yes, exactly, except he runs instead of jumps. Really right. creative with our video game superpowers in the 90s. He runs and gets rings. Mm -hmm. Instead of coins. Right. What is a ring? I don't know. A coin makes sense. Right. What do the rings do? Who knows? And I don't think they even knew in the animated series because he he still has rings in the animated series, but he, yeah. he holds them and gets faster, yeah. it seemed, and then he was able to shove it into gears and stop. I don't even know what these rings yeah. do, but there have been as many, there have been more video game incarnations of Sonic than there have been animated versions of Sonic. Is but that, not by much. But not by much. <laughs> the Sonic that I remember playing a lot, if we just establish it as our experience with the video game, did you play Sonic? Oh, I've played multiple Sonics, yes. Okay. I'm a Sonic fan. Which is your Sonic that you played or remember living the most? <sighs> the one that I played the most as a in the 90s was Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Okay. Still one of my favorites. Um, probably in life, I've played Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 the most, which is more early 2000s. What's um, the plot line of Sonic 2? Sonic 2 is Sonic now has a new friend before the adventure named Tails. And it's now two-player, and you're trying to do the exact same thing as Sonic 1, where you run across these magic worlds, and you fight evil robots made by Dr. Robotnik, 
that contain your animal friends. And all your animal friends are like itty bitty compared to Sonic. Yeah. I, the Sonic game that I played most was Sonic CD. Mm. For the that is a real plot. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was about to say. Which is more narrative heavy because you're Sonic, able to, if you go by these different signs that say past or future, and if you run fast enough, I would venture to say somewhere around eighty miles an hour of some somewhere around there. I don't know, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Okay. I don't you, really fast. As long as you run really fast, you're able to transport yourself to that time which you spun by. So you run by a past, and it goes, past, and you run by that sign. Then if you go fast enough, you end up in the past. And what's happening is Robotnik is putting machines and other things in the past to create a horrible present and an even more horrible future. And if you, as Sonic, are able to go to the past and destroy these things, when you get to the third level, you will see the outcome. Is it a good level where you've created a good future? Or is it horrific because you failed in finding the, the things to destroy in the other two levels and end up with a terrible future? Mm. When I was a kid and played, I always ended up with horrible futures. <laughs> so... Now that they they put it on the iPad, Sonic CD <gasps> is on it? the iPad, Ooh. Um, I've I've created several good futures. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself of having developed far enough to be good at a game that I was terrible at growing up. <laughs> I can dig that. So different narratives, mm -hmm. but still not very much. You're still just going through trying to stop Doctor Robotnik from. Well, what happens with Sonic things. is they, they like reinvent him in the video games like every eight years or so. Mm -hmm. There's really, I don't know, maybe like four iterations of Sonic. There's the first Sonic through, I think, Sonic CD. Mm -hmm. And then Sonic Adventure through like Sonic Generations, maybe. I might go that far. Hmm. And now we're getting like current now. And then after that, it seems to be a new Sonic for a little bit. With a and, bandana now. Yeah, well, and that's the fourth one. Sonic yeah. Boom, Bandana Sonic. Fred Fred from Scooby-Doo Sonic. What, yeah, why does he have a bandana now? They all have a thing now. I don't know. Does, I mean, it's not enough that he has shoes. And gloves. And gloves. Right, because he was a cartoon character yeah. in that sense. Now he's a hipster. Yeah, with his scarf. Yeah, so he gets a scarf. Tails gets goggles. Knuckles... I forget what Knuckles gets. He gets he gets muscles is what he gets. Yeah. Um, and there's some new character I don't know. I'm not I don't follow the Sonic games very much anymore, uh, with good reason. Um, so in the '90s, the only Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon we got that was self-titled was the one that was the most different from any of the games. They took what did they just took enough from there as the core. And then crafted the narrative around it. Yeah. If Sonic and Tails versus Dr. Robotnik, and that's about it. Plus an ecological message. Right. Oh, I know. Let's make it um, a post-apocalyptic future where Robotnik has won, and they live in an animal kingdom full of other animal people, and he's turned them all into machine monsters, and there's a whole bunch of resistance fighters living in the woods that Trying Sonic is a member rebellion. of. Yeah. yeah. It's... It's Star Warsian. 
And the fact that they have that they have rebels trying to go up against this empire that's been created. Um, But the villain can't be all that bad because he's voiced by Jim Cummings. (laughs) So you know that he's not going to be good at his job. He's probably the most sinister iteration of Robotnik, though. He is, but that's not saying a lot. That's not saying a lot. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I I think they, in the series finale, which is the second season cliffhanger, because they got canceled. That harkens back. Yeah, I was about to say the word harken. Good, good word. Yeah. Um, They do kill Robotnik as well. Hmm. What was the mode of the um, cliffhanger in that one? Um, they kill him and think everything's good, but then like his um, cowardly assistant of Robotnik, Snively. Snively, runs into some kind of hooded figure with glowing red eyes that says like it's not over yet. So it's a so it's a mode B cliffhanger. Yeah, where yeah everything's they wrapped the up. Arc, plus here's the next else. thing. Yeah, okay. Cool. It seems like not everything's good, but most things are good at that point. But it it was it struck me with uh, we watched the what, what what number was that episode? Um, season one, episode seven, Sonic Racer. It just threw me how dark that was. It's very dark. The I mean, not just the the narrative, but the actual art is mm-hmm. just very very dark, very mm-hmm. dreary, drab. I would say. I think it's so striking and successful because the, the games themselves are notable for how colorful and like happy they were. And this just completely takes that and mutes the blue of Sonic. It mutes the color of everything. And mm-hmm. we have Rabbot. Yeah, Rabbot. Bunny Rabbot. She's, um, who's a cyborg? Princess Sally. Princess Sally and Tails. And Tails. Um, not in this episode, but Rotor Walrus. And also, the most offensive French stereotype of all time, Antoine. Antoine, who's a coward. Big coward. Um, voiced by Rob Paulson, though, so there's a, there's a little bit of... There's a diamond in the rough there. Yeah. It's like really well done. But one of the more annoying things about the episode was him on the treadmill about to yeah. get smashed. Just roll just move tuck and roll <laughs> get out of the way you have plenty of time to move and i won't defend this show in terms of its logic um but i think Especially it is its character logic oh yeah the character logic but i think it's successful because they don't feel the the show creators don't feel um an obligation to respect the video game world you know what it reminds me of hmm it reminds me of the highly unsuccessful live-action movie Super Mario Brothers. Ooh. Yeah, I can see that. In a post-apocalyptic world where the villain has won, mm-hmm. and then you get these freedom fighters trying to create this revolution. So I think it has more in common with that than anything else. It does, which is so weird to think about, because one of these things is mostly good and one of these things is um, a shameful point in film history <laughs> and Mario history yeah and Mario history and anything history and video game adaptation history and the reason we have not gotten a Nintendo movie since then not even kidding yeah it it brings up too too many we can't have Metroid questions. because of 90s Mario yeah 
Uh, and then if you compare that to our, our bonus homework thing, which is the new Sonic show, Sonic Boom. Yes. Um, the first episode, season one, episode one, The Sidekick. Which I was surprised was a, they actually go through as if it is the video game. Yes. If, well, the do you know the shtick behind the new reboot? A little bit. They're pulling a Disney. They're pulling a Disney. They're pulling a Disney. Rebooting Sonic Everything is one world and all one story. So cartoon show and video game are companion pieces. It's not like one's telling the story of the other, but they go together. The same characters experiencing similar things. It's all one narrative. It's the Sonic verse. Yeah, the Sonic verse. Okay. Sonic the Hedgehog verse. Not as good as the Scooby Doo universe. <sighs> Nothing's as good as Scooby Doo universe. Um. As a word, not a concept. Correct. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, so with Sonic Boom, I mean, there's a lot of... I don't follow Sonic as much anymore, but there was a lot of criticism when it came out. The actual video game, Rise of Lyric, Sonic Boom colon Rise of Lyric, is notoriously glitchy and bad for how much they built it up. Hmm. Um, and there was a lot of people reviewing the game saying, yeah, but the show is actually good. Should Sega just make cartoon shows? So here we have a company going from making video games to now people wanting more of a show instead of games from their character. Hmm. When does the narrative of your game trump the actual playability of your game? I think they did that with the, f the other Sonic the Hedgehog we're talking about because that, while canceled... Archie Comics still does an ongoing comic with that, and there's a whole multiverse there, and they've rebooted that, and that comic still continues. So they, they took that narrative, and that's still yeah, that's still going. No games, no other shows, just comic book. It's like 20 years of continuity. That's the longest continuity of any Sonic iteration. Wow. Kind of scary. So that's, that's one mode, mm -hmm. being able to take that. And... Along the same lines as Sonic, in terms of taking away the video game and to going to a completely different world, we have. Let's talk about Legend of Zelda, because do we have to? We we don't have to, but I feel like we should. <laughs> so Legend of Zelda, which was part of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, um, not so super after all. Actually, it was pretty terrific. Okay. If I remember it correctly, which I... I don't think you do. <laughs> it was... I remember that with Legend of Zelda, they only showed it pretty much on Fridays. Like, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show happened almost daily, but the Legend of Zelda portion was only on one particular day. And it was so exciting because it would have the Super Mario Brothers opening, and then you'd realize, wait, no, it's a Legend of Zelda day. And then it would have the Legend of Zelda theme song. And then you'd be able to have the Legend of Zelda um, show, which mm -hmm. was great. It, it wasn't great. I mean, it was great at the time. <laughs> because as a kid, I loved Zelda. I loved anything with a sword. So if it had a sword and people sword fighting, um, something medieval, I was really into it. I loved that stuff. Okay. So... I think it all emanates from lightsabers growing up to, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, anything with a sword. So Robin Hood, movies, anything like that, where a character has a sword, 
and I'm totally into it. So lots of fantasy stuff. Sword fights was big on pirate movies, mm-hmm. things that way. First Night, starring Richard Gere and Sean Connery. I was in, I was big into that. For me, not having watched the show as a kid, I don't have I don't have preconceived good fond memories of it. <laughs> I know that as a kid, if it had a sword, um, Star Wars especially. Star Wars is the only thing that does this for me now, which is being able to completely suspend my disbelief. <laughs> completely. Oh, a sword made of light. Okay, go on. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> let's, let's take this, you know? <laughs> so any Star Wars, my brain is able to flip in and go, all right, here we go. Um, which is why I enjoy the prequels so much. I, I can, do too. So... It's just it just something shuts off in my brain and I'm able to love it. But what's interesting about Legend of Zelda is they took these characters, they tried to take enough from the video game to mm-hmm. make it familiar. Like all the wrong things. They took all the wrong things, right. They took Link's name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they took Zelda. They didn't use Link's real name, and not they didn't call him Zelda. They get credit for that, which is true. Um, they have Princess Zelda, they have Ganon, and they have the Triforce, mm-hmm. which is two parts, sort of. I love that they misunderstand the concept of Triforce, and they just have two things. There's <laughs> the Triforce of Wind. With, well, each of them are probably made up of three pieces. We don't know. I can't no, remember. No, no, no. They're just triangles. No, because they have the Triforce of Power and the Triforce of Wisdom, and they leave out the Triforce of Courage. I don't know where that is. Well, we probably haven't gotten to that yet. In the 13-episode run of Legend of Zelda. <laughs> they, they could be going somewhere. Who knows? And as a note, this is pre-Ocarina of Time. This is pre-A lot of things. And pre-A Link to the Past, I think, too. Yes. So this it's is... before any, any humanoid versions of Ganon. It's just crazy pig monster Ganon from the first two games. Right. And that's what we get. Yeah. Um, but what, what you start off with Legend of Zelda with the question of what happens when the good guys win. So Link has a Triforce there. Everything's okay. But now he's forced to live in the tower, <laughs> to sleep in the tower where the Triforce of Wisdom is kept so he can protect it. But what's weird is this Triforce talks as well and he just kind of sleeps in the same room. Right. He just sleeps there. I don't know if I could sleep with the Triforce watching me. Probably not. But he, he wakes up and, you know, he's upset that he can no longer go on adventures and he's stuck guarding this thing that he saved. And then he looks out and sees Zelda and just, you know, is in love with her in that kind of like creepy eight, way, creepy 80s guy kind of way of staring off and yo, princess looking good, especially from this angle. Where her, her little night shirt's kind of falling down off of one shoulder and he's just creepy. Uh, also he's wearing the shortest night shirt in the history of night shirts. Um, I had to pause and like try to pay attention like how they conveniently like hid anything with that night shirt. <laughs> There's a lot of link falling backwards and I I don't quite understand what's going on. He's like a Ken doll underneath or something. Something is happening. He's able to... He, he gets attacked because somebody comes after the Triforce and he says, this is more like it. And he puts on this massive fight and these acrobatics. 
uh, in this amazingly short night shirt <laughs> and just is able to keep it together keep it together <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing but what what's interesting about zelda in this and this is the one thing that i have to give them credit for is she is not a damsel mm-hmm. in distress she actually goes out and fights with link mm-hmm. and they have a fight scene where they get Link ties them together with his belt. I don't understand the concept. I don't, of I don't that. know why he does does or that. how his belt is wide enough to do that. But he he ties them together back to back so that she can fight in one direction and he can fight in another. She can fight one direction. Yeah, she does fight one direction. Okay, yeah. I would I would pay to see crossover <laughs> crossover. But she's able to fight. She grabs a weapon. She's able to hold her own, and she's not kidnapped or anything like that. She's just able to fight back-to-back with Link. Mm-hmm. And after which, he demands a kiss because he got the Triforce back and he has to be that guy again. He is more in line with Peter Venkman than... Like, if Peter Venkman were not Bill Murray, <laughs> which means he's just a creepy guy, yeah, uh, then you'd end up with no charm. This iteration of Link reminds me a lot of, like, the drunk guy you'd see at a bar and you just hope doesn't talk to you yeah i mean his character design looks like peter venkman from real ghostbusters <laughs> that's true actually he does yeah like if you put search for it put them together look at them side by side and tell me are these men related i i would say they are it's probably part of the zelda verse i was gonna go with the brand pop culture verse pop culture verse yeah where robocop and terminator are the same that's that's where it all starts Really? Yeah. Robocop and Terminator, and then just all branches out from there. Okay. I could go with that. <laughs> so taking the, you take this these video games, you just take a couple pieces. With Legend of Zelda, you also take the sound effects for some reason. Oh, yeah. They have all the sound effects and the monsters from the first game and the three main characters. And that's really all they get right and instead of stabbing people with a sword you shoot people with the sword which you can do in the game i know but it's just like that's the point of it bang i'm sorry like i, I can't even make pushing. the sword pushing <laughs> <laughs> pacheca <laughs> whip. whip that's what happens they, whip they, they do whip. they do they whip, whip away <laughs> somewhere else well, I, I don't even know I, I just think it's amazing that 90s Sonic the Hedgehog and Legend of Zelda start with the equal amount of things from their source material and wind up so conversely different. And I think part of that has to do with the decisions they made about their main characters. Mm-hmm. Who have very similar attitudes also. Right. I, th- I think they're both, they're both cocky in the same way. They mm-hmm. both have huge ego, but Link's is expressed in a certain way. He's a sociopath. He doesn't care about the people around him. Right. All he cares about is having the romance times. <laughs> the <with> romance times? <laughs> the, the romantic type. Ah, uh, the lengths we go sessions to. Sessions. <laughs> with, with Zelda. Romance times sessions. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying <laughs> to have... Or, as we call it in the medical world, the RTS. Yes. 
RTS <laughs> with Princess Zelda. PZ. Who's able to put off his, his advances and just try to keep him at bay. P-O-H-A-A-K-A-B in the medical world. Correct. <laughs> I have to listen to that later, make sure I got all those. Now we have to figure out... <laughs> So that's the first mode, taking pieces from the video game mm-hmm. and adapting it, giving it narrative that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. We have uh, another mode where you take a cartoon and translate it into a video game world. Mm-hmm. Um, our example will be the Futurama video game, oh. which is itself, uh, in a lot of ways, a lost episode of Futurama. And they even call it that on a DVD bonus feature, I think. DVD extra, they do. It's the same writers and same voice actors, but it's all, of course, not animated. It's like video game world. It's a video game world animated. And this is heartbreaking for me because I had to finally watch this episode. And it's the last Futurama that I hadn't seen. And now there's no more Futurama in the world for me. So it's very... If you haven't watched it, you should. It's actually pretty good. Better than most of the last seasons. Oh, wow. I know. <clears throat> That's a very, very bold statement, McKenzie. It is bold. I think it's it's better than when the professor decided he wanted to be a street racer. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that one. Yeah. <laughs> 2D Blacktop? Was yeah. That, was that that episode? Yeah. Mm, we're both like making ooh faces like ooh that happened that's a reality yeah that's that's in the universe Futurama and I think it's also fun that Futurama has a video game because they have an episode where they make fun of video games also they do yeah we're on the internet in our time we have these things that we play on computers called video games and Fry says oh show me your future ways I would love to learn <laughs> I do the thing that about translating the show into a video game is most of the story, most of the narrative is in cutscene. So it's like they essentially chopped up an episode and then let you play pieces of it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. The gameplay has not a lot of narrative structure to it in the fact that "Mm, in the story we need to get this item. Go! Get Mm -hmm. the item! And then there's the gameplay. So in a lot of ways, the gameplay is shoehorned in there as a way to get to the next bit of story. And all those those little quests do fit the character. They do. That they're going with as well. Like Fry's is just, oh, let's get Fry out of the way. Find us a hammer. And you have to spend time looking for hammer. And by the time you get it, they're finished with the thing they were doing. (laughs) And when they meet Zoidberg, it's like, oh, hey, you're expendable. Go over here. I did appreciate the way that they played with the way the tropes of a video game, Mm -hmm. having extra lives and other (laughs) pieces of it, and use that in the narrative to play with. So they were able to take the Futurama view on things and subvert that and go go at it from another angle, Mm -hmm. which was really strong. So narrative-wise, I think it. what's interesting is it stands up as an episode without being able to play it. I think it's got some excellent moments in it also. I didn't write any down, unfortunately. Um, seeing mom and her kids again, though, was refreshing. Yeah. And it's it's mom and all her best. It really is. At her best being the worst. <laughs> and the plot. It's such a Futurama plot. 
Like, mm-hmm. mom has to buy Podunk Planet Express so she can own the majority of Earth and become the supreme leader. And turn the Earth into a spaceship. And in the end, it's it's all like another time travel joke where they're using science to rationalize what's going on. <laughs> like, we can't change the, the, the paradox, so the professor has to sell it knowing what's going on. Ugh. It's really well done, but again, the gameplay is something that's shoehorned in to an episode. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. Without those cutscenes, it really wouldn't be. It would be any other game of jump, shoot, jump, shoot. Yeah. There's nothing that makes the gameplay. It's an episode of Futurama that cost fifty dollars to watch. Correct. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> And then you have to get through things and not die in order to watch the next piece of the <laughs> yes. episode. You have to you have to earn each act of oh, the episode. Oh man! Uh, you have to earn that thirty minutes of cutscene, which is what it is. It mm-hmm. all amounts to about thirty minutes of cutscene. Yeah, and you have to play through hours in order to gain thirty <laughs> minutes of cartoon watching. Mm. Which is... Well done, Futurama. Yeah. You found a way to tell us, take my money. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your favorite thing from everything that we watched oh. this week? I... We didn't talk about the Sonic Boom episode too much, but I think that it was unexpectedly funny and that they take a lot of what makes the video game the video game and kind of turns on its head. And in it, Tails gets hurt and Sonic decides for his friend's benefit, he needs to find a new sidekick. And of course, of course he puts up flyers for this and Dr. Eggman sees it. And then he's a little bit hurt that Sonic didn't ask his arch nemesis to be his sidekick. (laughs) He's like, I could be a sidekick if I wanted to. (laughs) Like, okay, I'm liking where this is going. And it's just... I did appreciate that uh, Tails went to the uh, tryout in disguise mm-hmm. for about half a minute mm-hmm. before revealing, no, no, I am actually your Here's a surprise, 30 seconds into not knowing what's going on. It's like, hello, and you are. It's like, I'm actually this person. <laughs> it's like he should have gone through the whole contest in disguise and then reveal himself when Sonic was in trouble. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it's Tails this whole time. And I love that Sonic... But the episode is only 11 minutes long, so yeah, they like, don't have a lot of story time. The new thing is like the 12 to 15 minute episode. Which doesn't give you any time for character development or story. Some shows way. do well. At, at, Sarah, if you're listening, I'm doing it. At my sister's behest, I've started watching Steven Universe, which are also like 15 minute chunks. But they do the character development well. Like each episode, like it's a very small plot, small idea, but it's like, Let's focus on this character this time, and this character this time, and it just slowly builds. They're doing that well. Sonic Boom is just Commedia dell'arte. Here's the stuff. Go. World resets at the end. True. Um, what was your favorite thing? My favorite thing was the fight scene with Link's <laughs> nightshirt. I'm sorry. It was just... I, I watched it twice. <laughs> I watched it twice. <laughs> if I could have watched the second time in slow motion, I probably would have... Just to be just to be completely clear of how what that choreography that fight choreography looks like to make it the amount of cheating that had to happen with those there was a drawings. pillow in front of his crotch a lot of the time 
That he was using as a shield. Yeah. Which, was uh, which also doesn't make sense. Yeah. Where's his shield? Because he was fighting off swords with a pillow. Pillow fight. I did enjoy that line. Oh, my God. And by enjoy, I mean I shook my head and <laughs> laughed ironically at it. But he's so... He did have... He had that magic purse, so we can believe that his nightshirt might be magic as well. Yeah. let's talk about homework time homework homework so for next time we're going to be talking about the oscar nominated animated shorts so we just found out what the oscar nominated shorts are mm -hmm. so bear story sanjay super team prologue we can't live without cosmos world of tomorrow and if you're feeling ambitious, I'm sure our discussion will spill over into the animated features. However, we're not doing a three-hour-long podcast, so don't worry about that as much. That's why we're focusing on the shorts, because so, they don't get enough love as is. That's right. Go see the shorts. Enjoy them. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next time. Well, excuse me. <laughs> oh, God. Excuse me. That's all right. <laughs> Good night, everybody.